This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Greetings, I am Barry. If you're searching for answers, spiritual help, clairvoyant readings, healings, crystals, books, incense, or jewellery, you need to go to Infinity, Hamilton Spiritual Centre, in the new premises at 550 Anglesey Street, or you can phone us on 838 1838. This is your link between this life and the next. Become the change the world needs today. Can you Greetings, I am Barry. This is The Voice Within for another week. Today we're starting off with a message from Pam Gregory, who's going to be talking about the new moon in Cancer, which comes up in a couple of weeks' time. Hi everyone, Pam Gregory, astrologer. I'm going to be speaking to you today mainly about the first half of July and the new moon that we have in Cancer, coming up on the 9th or 10th, depending on where in the world you live. But I'm also going to be talking, referring to some, um, really looking down the timeline for several months. Excuse my um, burst lip, it's much better now. I took a bit of a tumble and there was a lot of blood and I actually thought I'd broken my um, front teeth, which would have been magnificent. That was on the um, full supermoon Capricorn and with this square, of course, Saturn teeth um, to Uranus broken. That was certainly a potential. But anyway, uh, no real damage done. So <clears throat> apologies if it looks a bit swollen. Okay, let me get into this. Um, really, for the next few months at the 3D level, the next few months, I believe, are going to be very dynamic, very fast moving, very fast changing, and often quite turbulent and chaotic at that 3D level because the energies are extremely strong. We are really seeing the acceleration of the demolition of the old order at the same time as we're seeing the acceleration of the evolution of the new. So they're, they're clashing, if you like. They're happening in parallel and obviously linked to each other. The evolution is, is accelerating the, the collapse of the old. So be very aware that that's happening. And really, this is, <clears throat> this is very clearly signaled by the two long-running squares that we have all of this year. We have Eris and Aries, Square to Pluto and Capricorn, we had it all of 2020. We've got it until its final exact square in October of this year. We have also Saturn in Aquarius, square to Uranus in Taurus. That's going to continue all of this year. And it is going to continue next year, although more loosely. And it isn't going to come back to exactitude by degree and minute. It's only going to come back to exactitude by degree at 18 degrees of Aquarius Taurus in October 2022. But we'll still have similar themes next year. So both of those 
long-running squares which really dominate this year are very much about the theme of revolution versus repression. And I think that's very clear, clear to see in our world. For July, July has a very strong theme around power, power and power issues. So keep that in your mind as we go through um, this video and indeed the next one about the second half of July. So right at the beginning of the month, we're continuing the very strong T-square, which we had in the last few days of June. And this is Mars now at 12 degrees of Leo, which is opposing Saturn at 12 degrees of Aquarius, exactly on the 1st of July. And then they are both squaring Uranus. Uh, Mars is squaring it exactly on the 3rd of July, 13 of, of Leo Taurus. So this is a very tight T-square. Now, Mars is much more comfortable in Leo, a fixed fire sign than it was in Cancer. So it is much more assertive in terms of its courage. Leo is linked to courage, assertive of its needs. So Mars and Uranus have some similarities. They like to work quickly. They demand freedom. They're strong in terms of their um, individualism. And they want their needs met. They want to push forwards quickly. But they're running up against Saturn, which is the planet of constraint. And say, no, their rules, their regulations, we've got to slow down, we've got to think of, you know, security and safety of, of all. So because these are in fixed signs, there is a great deal of tension here. So with this long running square of Mars Uranus, um, sorry, Saturn Uranus, Mars here in the T-square is energizing that Mars-Saturn square. So as I've often spoken in the past, this is a classical signature for earthquakes, political earthquakes, financial earthquakes, volcanoes, cyber attacks, internet cutouts, sudden shocks and surprises, market volatility for sure, economic volatility. So all and, all and any of those things may be manifesting as we go through July. I think financial volatility is, is actually very likely. So the systems, think of systems, almost any system you can name as we go through the next few years while Pluto is still moving through the final degrees of Capricorn until it fully moves into Aquarius in 2024, I think we will see radical change in our educational system, our financial system, our legal system, our medical system, even in our agricultural system for sure, because Uranus, the plant of revolution, is in the sign of Taurus, which is to do with food supply and agriculture. So expect all of that to happen. We're in an accelerated phase of revolution and evolution. That T-square will still be felt for a few days after the third. And on the fourth, the moon is exactly conjunct Uranus in Taurus. Now, the moon in mundane astrology represents the people and Uranus is a revolutionary energy. This is to do with the maverick and the, the rule smasher. Now, never wanting to obey the rules. So we may feel at this time perhaps less obedient or, or less compliant as we go um, into the fourth. So these early days of July are extremely dynamic. You've got squares, we've got strong archetypes in, in clash to each other, in hard aspect to each other. 
Then we go into our new moon, which is happening on the 9th of July. It's happening at 6.16 p.m. Pacific, and it's happening the next day at 2.16 a.m. So that's 6.16 p.m. Pacific, and then the next day, the 10th, at 2.16 a.m. UK time. This is happening at 18 degrees and one minute of Cancer. So see where this falls in your chart, because this is a perfect time to plant a new seed, set a new intention for what you want to manifest in your life. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can download a free birth chart from my website, pangregory.com. Then go to this link above. You can buy a two-part video series from my store, which will explain everything you need to know about how to find these placements in your own chart and what it means for you every time I do these. Now, here we have another T-square. Because the sun and moon, which are always together at a new moon at 18 of Cancer, are opposing Pluto at 25 of Capricorn, and they are all squaring Eris at 24.46, or almost 25 degrees of Aries. And so this new moon is really highlighting that Pluto-Eris long-running square. So let me just remind you of the Eris archetype. I've spoken about her before. She's the goddess of discord. She's the sister of Mars. She's known as the female awakener. And in myth, she was the only goddess that wasn't invited to the big wedding of the gods and goddesses on Mount Olympus. So she turned up anyway and created mayhem. She threw a golden apple into the crowd of ladies and goddesses who all started to squabble with each other about who was the fairest because she'd thrown the golden apple in saying for the fairest. And those actions, it is said, led ultimately to the Trojan War. So she gives not a jot for her consequences. She's about truth, integrity, and waking people up so their needs are being heard by those in society, perhaps those governing. So that's what her principle is about. She's a feisty street fighter. And so she takes to the streets. We, this square was operating all through 2020. We've seen hundreds of protests all over the world. Um, and people take to the streets in demonstrations and protests, but there's a clash. They're running up against that square of top-down authority, Pluto and Capricorn. So this is going to continue all through this, this year. As I say, the last exact square is in October of this year. So this new moon is highlighting this. Eris is barely moving all through July. It is. It has a 560-year orbit anyway, barely moving the whole month of July. And it comes to station to move retrograde on the 21st of July when that archetype will be, will be magnified even more. So we can expect that. Now, some of us are going to step into that archetype of Eris during these times. Other people are going to operate as healers, as therapists, as communicators, as we go through these massive times of transition. So coming back to this new moon in Cancer, where we have this very strong aspect, Cancer is um, a, a very sensitive, loving, gentle sign. It's very much about the home and family, and it's a very protective energy. Think of the, you know, symbolized by the crab, the hard shell of the crab around the soft, 
the soft belly um, underneath. So there's a, there's a desire to protect the family and protect those you love. And because Pluto in Capricorn is opposing the sun and moon in this super sensitive sign of cancer, oppositions in astrology are often when we feel that opposing archetype coming at us from the outside. So Pluto and Capricorn is very much about power and control. So there may be a feeling of power coming at us or something, someone or something could be in our personal lives or on the public stage that is overpowering, overlording, overbearing in some way. It can be really quite tough. This energy can feel absolutely too much for us sometimes in that sensitivity. However, and, and, and there may be a desire because of that cancer energy just to hunker down and stay small, stay small, stay safe. It's very much about um, our sense of emotional security at this time, too. However, power is a seesaw. And if we give away our power to external authority, we are going to step much more into that victim mode of staying small because we've given away that power. If we take back our power, and, and Pluto and Capricorn also represents our inner authority, our inner authority, our sense of center, our sense of anchor, our sense of being a creator, then we step into that empowered sense of I am a creator of my life. So it's just a seesaw. So really recognize this in these times of big power issues, recognize that. I think the other important thing that I've been very aware of with this new moon, new beginning in cancer, because cancer is very much about the family, as we know, because of the increasing amount of Aquarian energy we have coming up in the next few years, we have Saturn in Aquarius already, Jupiter is retrograding back to Aquarius on the 29th of July, Pluto is starting to move into Aquarius in on uh, during 2023. This to me is suggesting that it won't just be our family as our biological family, which, of course, you will always have. But increasingly, it will be other people who are part of our community, our tribe, our like minded connections. So this is a family of frequency. Just start to think that you are you are building a family of frequency as we go through these, these coming years, because that's how I think it's going to be more and more strongly. And what's interesting as well at, um, at this new moon is Mercury is exactly opposite the galactic center. Mercury is at 27 of Gemini, galactic center at 27 of Sagittarius. We may be getting a lot of high level information coming in for us at this time. It's also not just a T-square, it's actually a cardinal grand cross because we have Homer, that wonderful dwarf planet, which is linked to the um, Hawaiian goddess of fertility at 26 degrees of Libra. So we have sun, moon, 18 of Cancer, squaring Homer, 26 of Libra, squaring Eris at almost 25 of Aries and sun, moon opposing Pluto. So it's a cardinal grand cross. So the Eris Pluto side, as I've often spoken, is really the acceleration of the demolition, whereas Homer 
I believe, is one of our very strong symbols of new earth. Remember, she's a regenerative principle. She's highly creative. She has a shamanic instinctive connection to the earth. With her magic stick, the Makalai, in the myth, she was able to simply summon wild food, wild seafood. Um, even if the land had been laid waste by poor agricultural practices, she could just use her magic stick to summon wild food to make sure that no one starved. To me, the Makalai, this magic stick, represents for us our increased ability to set clear intentions and to manifest. Because this is manifestation from frequency, not manifestation in the 3D way of pushing and having to do steps A, B, C, D, and having to wait and time, linear time. This is an instant frequency match. That's what Homia is going to teach us. So this is the, the symbol, one of the key symbols of the birth of new earth as the old collapses, the new is being born. So I think that's very exciting when we consider it that way. Other important aspects we have at this new moon, we have Mercury is now moving direct. It started to move direct on the 22nd of June and it is still, however, so that helps our clarity, our mental clarity. However, it is still being very tightly squared by Neptune. That square will continue until the 11th of July and it becomes exact again. Neptune in Pisces squaring um, Mercury in Gemini becomes exact again on the 6th of July. Neptune at this new moon is also trine, very positive aspect to the sun and moon in Cancer. Neptune, 23 degrees of Pisces, Sun, Moon at 18 of Cancer. So all of this is beautiful for your imagination, for your creativity, um, for bringing a sense of beauty and very high level thinking, altered states, really quite beautiful. However, as we've spoken before, this can often be Things are not as they seem or what's true and what's not or misinformation and disinformation, that foggy slippiness, slipperiness around facts and information. So Neptune calls us to rely on our intuition, to know the truth, to step back to our intuition. So, however, that square starts to move on as Mercury rolls on very quickly over the next few days and that square kind of breaks up and we'll get more clarity from Mercury. In fact, by the 12th, Jupiter in early Pisces is trying to Mercury as it just enters Cancer, zero of Cancer. That's on the 12th. So this is a beautiful trine aspect. This enables us to think big, much bigger ideas, bigger visions of our future. And because Jupiter is in Pisces. This is, this is our future with greater spiritual meaning. And it's beautiful with greater spiritual meaning. Jupiter is still conjunct Fomalhaut, one of the four royal stars of Persia, which is at three degrees of Pisces. Jupiter's at one degree. This is still really beautiful. This is high level, high level, beautiful information. Mercury is actually on the world axis, that's the area of cancer, the world axis or the Aries point. The world axis is at zero of the cardinals. So when a planet is anywhere between 28 of the mutables and two of the cardinals, 
but it's exact at zero of the cardinals, something comes onto the public stage. So something could be revealed for us onto the public stage at this time. Be interesting to see. Another really lovely aspect that only happens every couple of years is we have um, a conjunction between Venus and Mars in Leo, in mid-Leo. At the time of this new moon, we have Venus at 15 of Leo and Mars at 17 of Leo. And Venus moves on to 17 by the 13th of July and becomes exact. This is still a very tight conjunction. So this is heart energy. Leo is heart energy. And so see where mid-Leo falls in your chart, if it falls in your fifth house or your seventh house of your birth chart. This could, and you're looking for a new relationship, this could very much bring in a new relationship for you. Beautiful. It's a really strong indicator of that. So it's really here that Venus has now replaced Mars in that T-square right at the beginning of the month. Mars has moved on really out of that T-square now. So with Venus, yes, as I say, there could be romantic involvement here, but Venus really adds probability to um, financial volatility here because Venus is linked to wealth and currencies. And so Venus is opposing Saturn, and they are both squaring Uranus here. So another strong suggestion of some kind of uh, radical change happening in the financial markets. I think that, that possibility, probability is getting stronger and stronger because as I've mentioned before, Saturn Uranus hard aspects in themselves are linked to that kind of volatility. So we're gonna have a lot going on here. And remember that Whatever role you see yourself in, in societies, we move through these huge times of change. Remember to recharge yourself, cultivate your inner resources and your inner spiritual practice. So you know what that is, whether it's breath work, whether it's candle gazing, whether it's listening to sacred music. For me, it tends to be very much in nature. And as often as I can, I will have sit in nature, bare feet on the grass, so I can suck up all those healing irons from the earth. I'll shut my eyes, I'll imagine. I'll actually ask for new crystalline light to come in through my crown chakra, new crystalline light to come in through my crown chakra. And quite quickly, I'll start to feel a kind of heat or tingling in my crown chakra. And I, I can almost kind of perceive this column of, of sort of buzzy diamond light coming down. And I imagine it's coming down in a, in a core, almost in a column. And I sort of try and anchor it into the earth. And when it feels stabilized, I then try and radiate it out to the collective. And in doing that, you're not only making your energy more coherent, and of course, obviously raising your frequency, you are also expanding your heart field massively. So just doing that simple thing for free whenever you get the chance is, is a fabulous practice. And the more you do it, the more quickly you'll start to feel that, that light and energy coming in. These are our new crystalline light codes. And if we kind of acknowledge them and link to them, we'll start to connect to them in a much more regular way day to day. And that can only be of benefit to us. Something else I want to say here, and I was reminded about, about this by uh, astrologer Barbara Hand Clough the other day. Um, and 
whenever we're looking at two planets, outer planets particularly, um, we're looking at a sort of double planetary cycle. And here I want to focus on Saturn and Uranus, because that's what's playing out this year for us and to some degree next year too. So the cycle always begins for astrologers when these planets become conjunct. So Saturn and Uranus were conjunct in October 88. So that was the conjunction. They then moved to the kind of three o'clock position, which is the first square, which they did in around 2000. They then moved to the opposition. Saturn has a 29-year cycle. Uranus has an 84-year orbit, so Saturn's obviously moving much more quickly. So Saturn was opposing Uranus in 2008, 2009. Remember what I was saying about hard aspects are linked to financial volatility. We are now in that um, closing square because Saturn is coming back up to that final 90 degrees where it is now to the original conjunction point, and they will conjunct again in, interestingly enough, 2032, which in ancient prophecy, many people feel is the beginning of the golden age. That's very interesting. But coming back to 1988, that conjunction of Saturn and Uranus was on the galactic center, 27 degrees of Sagittarius, smack on the galactic center. So when we have these repeating planetary cycles, yes, we always look back to what happened last time with Saturn-Uranus cycles, but it isn't, and, and yes, they always vortex upwards, but it isn't just same old, same old. We have a new added dimension, if you like, here, which is the galactic. We are becoming galactic citizens. Indeed, new moon and cancer, can we get a greater sense of the galactic family? More and more people are channeling galactic beings. Many of my close friends channel galactic beings, becoming much more common. And when we have these cycles at the first square, the three o'clock position, we start to get a better idea of what the cycle's about. Now, around the year 2000, a lot of Kuiper belt objects, dwarf planets beyond the orbit of Neptune and Pluto, were starting to be discovered around that time. I've talked about many of them in the past. If you go into my video, New, um, New Astrological Archetypes, I think I called it, I talk about them there. And that came from a lot of the research of um, Kelly Hunter in the States. So, that first square to the original conjunction point of 88 was now happening at around 2000. So certainly I think that was telling us that galactic was one of the key themes of this cycle. We are now at the nine o'clock position. And I think this year we're going to see a lot more disclosure around galactic issues, let's say. So this is very exciting. So if you can just... Think of the family as a family of frequency that you are creating, but also even step beyond that as thinking of it as a galactic family. You know, reach out because what we are going through, I mean, recognize the enormity of what we are going through right now and see your role. What is your role in what is undeniably a massive wave of evolution for humanity. Absolutely no doubt about it. So get clear on your role, feed the future 
feed that future vision. And I know for all of us, really, it's largely invisible because it's never been created before. So in this odd limbo situation of watching our old house be demolished and standing amidst the rubble, kind of thinking, what now? But we'd never want to build the old again because part of the Saturn Uranus square is consciousness that we have already outgrown. Uranus shows us what we have outgrown. Thought patterns, Aquarius, Saturn in Aquarius, what we have already outgrown. So we can't go back. So use your precious energy, this new crystalline energy light codes that are coming in right now to create a magnificent future. And the more of us do that, the faster this is going to happen. So a lot um, to share there. I hope it's been helpful for you. Cultivate your inner world and your spiritual practice in these, these wild times that we're riding. Um, if you'd like more information about my books, my videos, my very long monthly newsletter, just check out my website, pamgregory.com. And thanks so much for listening. Bye for now. dream 
the friendly skies And I guess that I'm the lucky one For the truth of what I know For my heart is not denied me And I have somewhere to go I shall never be a prisoner To steel and glass and stone If I leave, I will return again to my rocky mountain home. Great John Denver, of course, and uh, Wings of an Eagle. Magical song, eh? Now we're going back with our dear friend Patricia Coderobles, and um, today she's talking about assisting our I Am presence with our physical transfiguration. Hi, Precious Heart. Thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. Over the years, we have heard a lot about the divine alchemy of transfiguring our earthly bodies from carbon-based planetary bodies into crystalline-based solar light bodies. Today, the Company of Heaven is reminding us of some very important information that will assist us in moving this process of divine alchemy forward a quantum leap so that we can fulfill the divine plan for 2021. What we are being reminded of is how significant the elevation of our holy breath and the intensified frequencies of prana and life force that we are now receiving are 
in the ascension process. Carbon-based molecules are predominantly carbon, but crystalline-based molecules are comprised mostly of silica and oxygen. Unfortunately, at this time, the oxygen in the air humanity is breathing is polluted with myriad toxic substances. That means that the oxygen our body elemental and our IM presence have available for them to use in this process of divine alchemy is not nearly as pure as it should be. Consequently, the crystalline-based cells are harder to form, and the process is taking longer than necessary. We can remedy this situation by deliberately breathing the new solar light codes which contain a much higher frequency of fifth dimensional crystalline solar light into our earthly bodies on our newly elevated holy breath. This will allow our I am presence to transcend the pollution and to directly receive God's pure source oxygen with every breath we take. The company of heaven has given us an activity of light that will help all of us to accomplish just that. If you have the heart call to participate in this gift from on high, please join with me and lightworkers around the world who are joining with us. And we begin. On the holy breath, I am breathing brand new light codes for the 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar aspects of deity. I am my I am presence and I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman and child on earth. Collectively, humanity's I am presences now merge into one luminous being of light that is cradling Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her within the divinity of our unified heart flame. Humanity and Mother Earth are now breathing in unison as one elevated holy breath. Beloved Father, Mother God, and beloved Elohim, I ask that you breathe the brand new light codes for the 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar aspects of deity through the 12 pointed crown of the Elohim above the earth and the 12 pointed crown of the Elohim upon the brow of humanity's collective I am presence. On the holy breath, expand this divine light through every person's fifth dimensional crystalline solar spine, our 12 solar chakras, our acupuncture meridians, and our acupuncture points. As this occurs, simultaneously expand these new light codes through Mother Earth's crystal grid system and the new fifth-dimensional crystalline record-keeper crystals pulsating within her meridians. I now begin 
by exhaling deeply. I am in-breathing new light codes for the sapphire blue first solar aspect of deity and the divine qualities of God's will, power, protection, and God's first cause of perfection. On my out-breath, this transfiguring light is expanding through every particle and wave of life on earth. I am in-breathing the new light codes for the yellow-gold second solar aspect of Deity and the divine qualities of enlightenment and Christ consciousness. On my out-breath, this transfiguring light is expanded through every particle and wave of life on Earth. I am in-breathing the new light codes for the pink third solar aspect of Deity and the divine qualities of comprehensive and transfiguring divine love, oneness, and reverence for all life. On my out-breath, this transfiguring light is expanded through every particle and wave of life on Earth. I am in-breathing the new light codes for the crystalline white fourth solar aspect of Deity and the divine qualities of purity, renewal, restoration, resurrection, ascension, and the Immaculate Concept. On my out-breath, this transfiguring light is expanding through every particle and wave of life on Earth. I am in-breathing the new light codes for the emerald green fifth solar aspect of Deity and the divine qualities of illumined truth, healing, inner vision, and consecration. On my out-breath, this transfiguring light is expanded through every particle and wave of life on Earth. I am in-breathing the new light codes for the ruby-gold sixth solar aspect of Deity and the divine qualities of grace, devotional worship, and the manifestation of the Christ. On my out-breath, this transfiguring light is expanded through every particle and wave of life on Earth. I am in-breathing the new light codes for the violet seventh solar aspect of Deity and the divine qualities of God's infinite perfection, including mercy, compassion, forgiveness, transmutation, liberty, justice, freedom, victory, transfiguration, glory, and oneness. On my out-breath, this transfiguring light is expanded through every particle and wave of life on Earth. I am in-breathing the new light codes for the aquamarine eighth solar aspect of Deity and the divine qualities of clarity, discernment, understanding and perception, 
On my outbreath, this transfiguring light is expanded through every particle and wave of life on Earth. I am inbreathing the new light codes for the magenta ninth solar aspect of deity and the divine qualities of harmony, balance, assurance, and God confidence. On my outbreath, this transfiguring light is expanding through every particle and wave of life on Earth. I am inbreathing the new light codes for the gold, tenth solar aspect of deity and the divine qualities of eternal peace and God's infinite abundance. On my outbreath, this transfiguring light is expanded through every particle and wave of life on earth. I am inbreathing the new light codes for my peach, eleventh solar aspect of deity and the divine qualities of divine purpose, enthusiasm, and joy. On my outbreath, this transfiguring light is expanded through every particle and wave of life on earth. I am inbreathing the new light codes for the opal twelfth solar aspect of deity and the divine qualities of transformation and transfiguration. On my outbreath, this transfiguring light is expanded through every particle and wave of life on earth. Now, from this moment forth, these new higher light codes for the twelve fifth-dimensional crystalline solar aspects of Deity are expanding within the core of purity in every particle and wave of life on this planet. With every holy breath I take, the extraordinary light is flooding the earth with God's pure source oxygen. Beloved Father, Mother God, and beloved Elohim, I thank you for the assistance you are giving to humanity and Mother Earth during this momentous time, and I am grateful for the opportunity to serve all life in this wondrous way. And so it is. Beloved, I am that I am. Dear one, continue being gentle with yourself as you allow this exquisite light and God's pure source oxygen to be assimilated at a cellular level into your earthly bodies. God bless you. I look forward to being with you next week.
It's made me good all and eyes of heaven. Now we'll listen to um, Neil Donald Walsh. And he's saying that 98% of people are doing things that don't matter. All right, let's kick things off with rule number one. Shift your values. For the first 50 years of my life, mission, I thought that my life was about me. I had the attitude of a 10-year-old or a 9-year-old or a 6-year-old. But I had that attitude when I was 29 or 39. I just, you know, I thought I wasn't a bad person. I'm not trying to paint myself as this horrible individual, but I was fairly self-centered. I was looking at my own career, my own goals, my own objectives, my own needs, my own wants, my own desires. I tried to be even-handed about it. If somebody helped me out, I tried to give back if I could and all those things that were taught to do. But basically, my life was focused on me. Fascinatingly, even though my life was focused on me virtually all the time, my life wasn't working. I mean, at, at some point in my life, I really got, gosh, I, I can't seem to find happiness that lasts more than a little while. I, I can't seem to find success that lasts more than a little while. Everything is so ephemeral. It just comes in and goes out, comes in and goes out. I never seem to get anywhere to the top of the mountain. When When is the struggle over? That's what I was experiencing when I had my first conversation with God. So that's the context, that's the background, why I was given that wisdom, because I asked God, okay, obviously there's something here I don't understand. I, I've listened to what my daddy told me, I listened to what my mommy told me, I listened to what my religion told me, I listened to what my culture told me, but there's some missing data. I felt that there was just some information that was missing. So I said to God, what is it? What is it that I don't understand here? The understanding of which would change everything. And God said to me, Neil, it's really very simple. And then she said what you just said here. Neil, your life is not about you. Your life is about everyone else whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. And I said, well, I don't understand. I'm supposed to give up everything that I ever wanted or desired or hoped for, or give up all of my goals, all of my objectives. And she said, no, 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 I didn't say that. I didn't say that. You don't have to set aside all of your goals, set aside all of your objectives, set aside all of the things, all of your desires. No, I didn't, I didn't say that. But it's about achieving them, working toward them, moving toward them in a whole different way for a whole different reason. If you're doing those things to enrich the lives of everyone whose life you touch, watch the world fall in on you with wonder and joy and celebration. But if you're doing those things together, to gather, 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 get, 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 have more, have more, have more, that you just like, you know, you just want to get as much as you can for yourself. If that's your prime motivation, you're going to be struggling every day for the rest of your life. Rule number two, connect with your soul. But if we ever began to live our daily life from moment to moment, moving inside the wisdom of our soul, I just finished a book, which will be out in a few months, called the only thing that matters and the only thing that matters argues for the combining of the mind and the soul in the consideration of our daily choices and decisions see the mind holds nothing but experience which it imagines to be knowledge knowledge but experience is not knowledge it's simply experience and your experience can be warped by all manner of things Knowledge, true knowledge is held in the soul. Eternal wisdom is held in the soul. So our job as human beings is to find a way to marry 
the mind's experience with the soul's knowledge and to come to a place in, in, in between. When a person does that, they're, they're said to have been centered. So you're really centered in that place between the mind and the soul. All great uh, mystics have found that place. They don't, they don't just reject the mind altogether because the mind's experience is valuable. If I didn't know about the mind's experience, I would, I would touch a hot pan on the stove and burn myself or, or put my hand in the socket and get a shock or walk off the edge of a cliff. So my experience, my mind is a, is a, is a good friend. I'm not saying we should reject our mind, but all the true mystics and masters have found a way to marry the mind of the soul rather than to live exclusively in the mind to the exclusion of the soul. If I, would, if I had one piece of advice for human beings, it would be connect with your soul. Find a way to connect with your soul every day. Not once a week when you go to church or synagogue or temple, but if you even do that, but every single day. How do you recommend people connect? Well, there's a thousand ways to do that. Meditation, guided imagery, visualization, ecstatic dance, the whirling dervishes do it all the time. You know, reading good poetry, praying, you know, there's a thousand ways. But it starts with willingness. You must be willing. You must say, okay, God, or life, or whatever word you want to use that's comfortable to you. I'm here and I'm willing, I'm willing to be quiet for a moment each day with my soul. And if you do that often enough and regularly enough, ultimately you'll discover an opening, something happens. And it's not just a flash, but it, it, it occurs on a regular basis. Rule number three, see life for what it is. But I think what creates anger is the mind thinking that what is going on should not be going on. Mm -hmm. That something else should be happening. Mm -hmm. So the mind starts looking at what's happening and saying, it shouldn't be like this. Mm -hmm. God darn it, it shouldn't be like this. I'm getting pretty mad. This shouldn't be like this. Don't argue with life. It's, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And when we stop arguing with life and see it for what it is, see... Here, here's what, here's to tie it all together, Lilu. When I was on the street for a year, toward the end of that time, not at the beginning, I went through a lot of anger, like you're talking about, and, and a lot of uh, uh, frustration mm. uh, and disappointment. But finally, I got to a place where I realized, ah, uh, I see what this is all about. I see what this is. This whole experience that I'm having has been given to me by life as an opportunity for me to really get clear on what's important and who I am and why I'm really here on the earth. And I was so stubborn about it. For me, you know, I had to be hit over the head with a two-by-four. Mm -hmm. I had to really lose everything, lose my family, lose my house, lose my job, lose my income. I, even al I almost lost my life. What threw me on the street was I was in an automobile accident mm -hmm. in which I had my neck broken. Now, you know, most people with a broken neck, God bless them, don't live. You break your neck, you die. And if you don't die, at the very least, you're paralyzed from here down for life. God bless those folks. Somehow or another, I escaped both. I didn't die and I wasn't paralyzed. But I broke my neck. Mm -hmm. Sure as we're sitting here. But I, just in the right place, you know, one quarter inch off. And the, the doctors said, you know, it's, it, you're, you're so lucky. You're just amazingly lucky that your neck snapped in a place where it wasn't crucial. And there aren't very, very many places like that in your neck, but you, you, you escaped. Now, 
having escaped death, having escaped life as a, as a paraplegic, and having found yourself on the street with nothing to your name, one pair of shoes, one pair of pants, three shirts, having gone through all of that, what's really important? Rule number four, my personal favorite, fully express yourself. 98% of the world's people are spending 98% of their time on things that don't matter. Mm. That's true. On things that have nothing to do with why we're here. Yeah. We get caught up in our doingness. Oh, you don't understand I'm a cameraman. <laughs> That's what I do. I'm, a, I'm an audio technician. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. No, you don't understand. I, I do interviews. You know, I write books. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. But those doingness functions are meaningless unless they are ways to demonstrate what we're really here to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And what we're really here to accomplish is the fullest expression of who we really are. Mm -hmm. People who step into that activity and come from that awareness are people who change the lives of everyone whose life they touch. Rule number five, wake up. One of the biggest mistakes that people make is thinking that the the things they're doing, that they're required to do them, when in fact they're making a free choice to do that. There are plenty of people who don't work. There are people who actually abandon their families rather than work. They're so unhappy you know, in their life that they just chuck it all and walk away from it. So uh, the, the problem with humanity is we keep on making a series of free choices, and then we call ourselves the victims of our own choices. So what I say to people in my audience is, if you don't want to go to work and support your family, then don't. Who's making you do that? Who told you you had to do that? Oh, I just can't walk away. Why not? People do it all the time. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I'm saying but when you do what you claim to be the right thing of your own free choice, and then you claim yourself to be the victim of doing the right thing, then you're disowning your own self. You're disowning your own choices. For heaven's sake, if you're going to do what you think is right, at least be proud of it. Don't, don't, don't let yourself talk yourself into that you're the victim of it. <laughs> what does that say about you if you're the victim of it? What does that say about you? You know, well, I'm, I'm, only, I'm only supporting my family and paying my bills and doing what's right because I have no choice? <laughs> what does that say about you? No, 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 of course you have choice. There's no such thing as, a, as no choice. So I say to people, let's understand that what this statement means, there's nothing you have to do, there's nothing we have to do, is God's way of telling us it's another, it's, a, it's another way of saying you have free choice always about everything. But for goodness sake, stop making free choices and calling yourself the victim of them. Wake up. Notice what's happening. Every act is an act of self-definition. Everything we do defines who we are. But we shouldn't, you know, do all these wonderful things that define who we are and then fail to lay claim to them, reject them call them not our own. Rule number six, know who you really are. Because a lot of people walk with masks and try to please others. Well, they do. But, and living uh, authentically seems like a really important thing these well, days, of co- of especially. Course of course it is. If people are trying to please others, uh, it's because they do not know who they really are. Uh, when you know who you really are and have chosen to step into the living of that, uh, the idea of pleasing someone else becomes less and less useful to you. 
less and less attractive, less and less beneficial. Because too often, in order to please someone else, you have to abandon who you really are. Mm-hmm. And betrayal of yourself in order not to betray another mm-hmm. is betrayal nonetheless. Mm-hmm. It's the highest betrayal. Mm-hmm. So we learn that you know, as we get older. Mm-hmm. And we learn that, oh, I'm not going to betray myself uh, anymore. Rule number seven, transform fear. The biggest problem on the planet today is fear. It's been a problem for a long time, but it's a huge problem now. It's getting bigger every day. And the reason that fear is a problem, of course, is that it affects everything. Everything we think and say and do, all the decisions and choices we make, all of our reactions, all of our responses, everything that we're experiencing can come from only one of two places. Conversations with God has made that very clear to me. We're either coming from love or we're coming from fear. And my observation is that most people, most of the time, and myself, more than I would like to acknowledge, coming from fear. So we have to look at our fears and find out what is fear anyway? What is it all about? What are we afraid of? And what impact is it having on the choices and decisions and the creations uh, for which we have made ourselves responsible? By the way, that's one of the first fears that there is, the fear of being responsible, the fear of... uh, placing ourselves in a position of responsibility for all that we are creating. So fear is the first aspect of the human experience, as I understand it, uh, that we need to work very hard uh, to heal, and I might even say to transform. You transform fear, uh, and you transform the world. Rule number eight, focus on the right things. You can't get to the top of Mount Everest if you're deep sea diving. So, you, so if you try to do one thing but doing another, obviously you can't accomplish it. So the reason that we can't accomplish what we say we want is that we, what we say we want is the wrong thing. We're after the wrong thing. If we truly understood the real reason and purpose of life, we would be wanting and yearning for and seeking to achieve what we came here to achieve while we came to the planet to begin with. That is what, what human life is all about. And what we don't understand is if we did that, if we just retrained our focus to what it is we really were designed to achieve, all the rest would fall in on us without effort. All the things we think we want, peace, health, safety, security, opportunity, love, joy, all the rest, would automatically show up in our lives without, without any effort on our part. Rule number nine, go with the flow. If you're in the middle of difficulties and problems, How can you feel gratitude? And the answer is you've got to fight to find the gift, even in the difficulty. That's what I was talking about earlier. When you shift your perspective from the perspective of the mind, because I want to tell you something, life will never make sense to your mind. If you're trying to get life to make sense with your mind, you might as well forget it. Because life will never make sense to your mind. Because mind is very logical and life is not. So so in order for life to make sense, you've got to be, I mean this literally, out of your mind. And you've got to be into your soul. And, but when you begin to see life from the perspective of your soul, then even in the midst, as I was saying earlier, even in the midst of the worst of it, you can see the gift. And when you can see the gift, then you can say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this gift, which I would not have been able to perceive had I not uh, embraced the perspective of the soul. 
But now I see what even this horrible situation is bringing to me. I even see that. But again, I want to say something. This is important because when you see that, when you see the gift and begin to move into gratitude, the very shift, the shift away from resisting to gratitude changes the exterior energies such that the situation itself improves, sometimes automatically, without you doing anything. I have a favorite thing that I like to say. Life will resolve itself in the process of life itself. Mm -hmm. If you simply appreciate life itself so what I've learned to do is to just go with the flow Mm -hmm. oh I hate this trite beyond belief but it's true Mm -hmm. just let the river go by stop trying to make the river go where you think the river is supposed to go and rule number 10 the last one before a very special bonus clip is be divine there's something quite extraordinary going on here Most of us don't even know what it is. We don't know what it's about. We don't even know it's happening. But it is happening. Every moment of every minute of every hour of every day, it's happening. It's life happening all around us. And here's what not very many people really fully and deeply understand, much less appreciate. It's happening for a reason. There's a purpose behind it. There's a mechanism in place. There's a process that's being undertaken in life by life itself. And that process is the process by which we, as the livers of this life, as those who are living into the experience, create the experience we are living into as a means of experiencing and expressing who we really are. That life exists in all of its forms. The beauty of the night sky, the wonder of a garden of flowers, the incredible expression of humanity itself, the feeling of love and the glory of a great idea which has just come to someone and exploded within them an awareness of something that they can't even name, but they can feel. Ah, they say, that's me. Even as they see the night sky, they see a part of themselves there. There's a way to relate. Even as they see the flowers in a beautiful garden, they can see themselves there. There's something of beauty in me too. And look at this, I'm merely looking at myself in another form and even as we look at other people we can relate and we say there I go being human being wonderful being glorious being divine there's something quite extraordinary going on here it's a process not only by which we experience ourselves as divine but by which we define what divinity is to us. Can you imagine a process like this? We're actually creating God through the process of being God as we are choosing to create it. That's what's happening. That's what's going on. That's the miracle of life itself flowing through you, in you, as you 
And once you understand what's going on, the purpose of all of it, the divine process, you take part in it in a brand new way. Not unconsciously, but consciously. Not unintentionally, but intentionally. Not accidentally, but on purpose. And you see every golden moment of now as an opportunity to recreate yourself anew in the next grandest version of the greatest vision you ever held about who you are. And if you do that only for a short time, for an hour a day, an hour a week, an hour a month, your whole life will suddenly make sense to you. And you will touch the world in a way that brings sense to the world. That's how life itself changes and becomes the miracle it was intended to be when you decide to be the miracle you were intended to be. So be it. So people go through their entire lives without ever asking these extremely powerful and fundamental questions. Number one, who am I? Number two, where am I? That is, what is this place that's called physicality? What am I, where am I? What is this? Number three, why am I where I am? Why am I here? And number four, what is it my opportunity to do about that? What do I intend to do about that? Now, I'll give you my, my answers. And by the way, when, when I say where am I, I don't mean where am I right now in the supermarket or at the train station, or I don't mean that. I mean, where am I in the broadest sense? That is, what is this place, this earth, this environment uh, in the cosmos? What, you know, where am I? So how I would answer those questions if I was looking into the mirror right now, Neil, who am I? I am an individuation of divinity. I am an, exp an expression of God. I am a singularization of the singularity. I am a derivation of the essential essence. I am to God as a wave is to the ocean. Now, I know when I say that, sometimes it sounds formulaic. That is, it sounds like an answer that I've given a thousand times before. It sounds like a formula answer. But I'm sorry if it sounds like an answer that I've given a thousand times before, because I have given it a thousand times before. I ask myself this question all the time. So, but when you internalize the answer, when it's not just saying something by rote, but saying something in a way that has emotional content and meaning for you, I really am a demonstration of divinity. I really am an individuation of all that is, an individuation of God. That sets a context. It creates a contextual experience of my identity, my true self. Then I go to, to the second question. Okay, if that's who I am, then where am I? What is this place that I find myself in? And the answer for me is, I am in the realm of the relative, where things are relative to other things, where there's big and small, fast and slow, up and down, left and right, here and there, before and after, now and then, good and evil, male and female. So I am in the realm of the physical, 
where I have physicalized, because who I am is not physical, it's metaphysical. The singularization of singularity that I am is a soul or a spirit, if you please. But that spirit has chosen to physicalize in the realm of physicality so that I might express and experience myself. That's the third question. Why am I where I am? I am in the realm of the physical because that is the only aspect of the kingdom of God. It's all the kingdom of heaven. It's the only aspect of life, the only place within life's spheres, within the realms of life, where I can really experience and express my true nature. I can't do it in the realm of the absolute because in the realm of the absolute, I simply know who I am. I always am divine. It's always here. It's always now. I am always the experience and the expression of love. So I am always love here and now, love here and now, love here and now. That's all very lovely to know that, but I want to experience it. I want to express it. So the expression of it is what occurs when I'm in the realm of the physical. And that's why I'm in the realm of the physical. That's why I'm living my life the way I'm living it, because it's giving me a chance to express my true nature. And the fourth question, what is it your opportunity to do about that? That question is answered in every single moment, in every golden moment of now, from one moment to the next. Each moment will provide a stage upon which you can act out, I want to sense, not in the, in the sense of pretending, but in the sense of simply putting into action to act out your decision and your choice about who you are. For instance, right now, because you asked me this question, this golden moment gives me a chance to act out my idea of who I am. And my idea of who I am is that aspect of divinity called clarity. I am clear about who I am, why I'm here, and what my opportunity is. And I'm demonstrating my clarity right now. And that's how the whole formula works. So the first question, and you say you want to ask this to yourself once or twice or twi thrice a day. First question is, who am I? Second question is, where am I? The third question is, why am I here? And the fourth question is, what am I going to do about it? Beautiful. That's it. It's a very simple formula, but it's very empowering because you can ask yourself the question anytime, driving in the car, standing in the shower, moving through the post office. It doesn't matter. You can ask yourself these questions and it becomes a mental discipline to just check in and make sure that you're on track and gotten, haven't gotten lost in the labyrinth of life where it starts to seem like you're not who you are. And it starts to seem like you have no idea what's going on or why it's happening. More than one person has spent a minute or two asking themselves, well, why is this going on? Why? I don't understand. Why is this happening to me? But if you stay connected to the four fundamental questions of life, those questions go away. Within Kakite, Namaste, Shalom, Asalam. May God go with you.
Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.